chased his likeness from off the back of the disc. Next to the box top, promise of the biggest prize. Thank you so much for doing this little thing that I that I do. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's well, always a pleasure to be asked to share about something that you know so important in my my life. Spilled milk. Like I mean, I it's like I don't even know where to begin with that album, other than just to say that it was life changing for me and probably for a lot of people that heard that album. So Belly Button was such a groundbreaking album for the time that it came out. I mean, you know, I remember when it came out, I was a metalhead, you know, and like, I was just like, wow, this is like crazy. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and I mean, I'm still a metalhead, but you know what I mean? Like, it was one of those things where it was like, I was like, oh my God, it's like Queen and the Beatles. And they, they totally look like, like my last mushroom trip. This is great. I love this, you know, <laughs> and you know, but I always said that Jellyfish was a band that was ahead of its time, but yet behind its time. So with that being said, how do you think Jellyfish would have fared, say, if they came out now? Uh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, uh, when we came out in the early 90s, there were enough generations that could appreciate the referring to and honoring some of the classic rock moments of the sixties uh, and seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, our new way of presenting some of those traditional moments. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there was a group of young adults, teenagers, college students that were excited to, you know, they had, they had Beatles in their blood, so to speak, but they, you know, they wanted a different version than what their parents grew up with kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, and, li- and like you said, I mean, I grew up with lots of punk and metal too. It was all around me. And, uh, so there is that energy that's present in our stuff. You know, again, it was, I always said I was very proud to operate from a, a classic sense in that we were trying to write melodies and songs that weren't dependent on any genre or trends that they would stand the test of time, which I'm happy to say that's what I've witnessed for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, but at the same time, we were trying to push the, those genres forward in a new direction, put our own twist on them. Uh, and uh, you know, it'd be like it'd be like if somebody was like, "Oh, we're really into Motown, but we're not just going to be a Motown cover band. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to take some of the basic tools of the, the Motown genre, but really go off on it and branch out and expand upon it." Right. And I really, I really feel that's what we did. And uh, uh, there was a youthful energy to that stuff. Um, so we never got accused of like, oh, you're you know, you're doing old people's music or anything. <laughs> but um, uh, no, it spoke, it spoke to our age group and, and your age group, and and um, that was that was all we ever wanted to do. And and the band broke up before I think we could touch even more people and kind of spread that news. You know, I mean, the Spilt Milk album, while it sold less in the states, it actually did better for us in Europe. So right. in, in Europe, it was continuing to grow and expand. And who knows how big all of it would have gotten uh, had we kept at it. But um, I'm very thankful for the uh, continued attention over the years. And, and then also when any person who wasn't around when those albums came out has had the opportunity to discover it via the Internet or what have you. That, that always blows my mind. and It's just the coolest well, because, I mean, when Belly Button came out, you know, you guys hit the road and you guys toured with everybody from, you know, the Black Crows, Tears for Fears, did your own headline swing. And the tours were great. I saw you guys on that tour at the Cotton Club in Atlanta. It was blown away. Um, snuck in. And because um, I wasn't old enough. <laughs> um, but 
of course, so after the tour, your brother Chris leaves the band, and so Jason Faulkner left as well, and all of a sudden it's just left with you and Andy. So how did you guys go into the process of creating Spilt Milk? Because what I do remember is that Bye 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 was a song that appeared quite a bit on in uh, on the Belly Button Tour and some of those shows. So was that the catalyst right. for Spilt Milk, or did you guys have a grandiose plan, like knowing that – I mean, you were without two guys. Do you see what I'm saying? So where yeah, were no, you no, going I, into it? No, from the from the outside, it seems like, my God, what happened? You just lost you know, 50% of this group right. that I fell in love with and 50% of the sound and all those things. Um, but to answer a couple of your questions, I mean uh, – Jellyfish was born for me and Andy uh, departing from the, the previous Beatnik Beach project, right? which hadn't really been our group. It was basically another gentleman's vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy was certainly more involved than myself. But anyway, we, we quickly found ourselves evolving out of that project with a very different sound. And so Andy and I were forging the Jellyfish sound, so to speak, uh, from the get-go as early as 1988. Um, and we started demoing all of uh, the initial demos for Belly Button ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, having friends come in and play guitar, blah, blah, blah. And we actually went and saved our record deal with Atlantic uh, with those demos that he and I had just done. That's amazing. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, and the A&R guy at Atlantic, John Carter, was just super supportive he he i guess saw the power of the tunes themselves and went well i kind of don't care that you're just two people you'll you'll figure it out mm-hmm. and we shortly thereafter uh invited jason from los angeles to come up and start adding bass and guitar and harmonies mm-hmm. uh, as he's as he does so well and uh so the next round of demos because we did them in batches of four and the next round of demos had his flavor influence on it um and then we didn't even add my brother chris until after belly button was recorded right so he we was added, the touring yeah. bass player for that correct yes yeah jason played most of the bass on the record and some other guests but mm-hmm. um so of course we became the jellyfish everybody came to know you know while out on tour with all those bands promoting belly button mm-hmm. um and then of course the timing was such that as that touring ended jason and chris bowed out and uh, Andy and I were were left to our own devices once more. So mm-hmm. while we were concerned and saddened by the fact that you know phase one hadn't panned out to everybody's liking, and we weren't happily marching forward to conquer the world with the next record, we were kind of like, oh well, here we are again, square one. Uh, let's start doing what we did before, which is exactly what we did. We started throwing song ideas at each other philosophizing about where we wanted to take this next version of the band with no idea who was going to play what, but we kind of, I think in the back of our minds, we were like, well, again, the, the music trumps everything. The music is what is either going to blow everyone's mind or not. Right. And if, if we have songs that are inspiring us, uh, that's all that matters. And we will then figure out, you know, a lot, a lot of people in the world, and we had a we had a presence in Europe. Now we're like, hey, maybe we'll find our guitarist and bass player in Europe. I mean, who knows? It's like, let's not get bogged down by that. And we set right. out to do all the demos that you hear on the Spilt Milk box set um, from October of uh, let's see, that was. 1991 October of 91 I was going to say it would have had to been 91 to yeah to February of 92 92 because the album was released in 93 yeah yeah and so um, during that time our sound man who lived in Atlanta Georgia uh, met Tim Smith and suggested that he come and talk to us which he did and we fell in love with his I remember seeing Tim's band when I lived here (laughs) quite a bit I'm sure yeah Absolutely. They were a staple of the Atlanta scene. Yeah. That's what I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, he fell right in very early and thus began 
to uh, you know he he showed up basically at the at the right time to start recording mm-hmm. the basics for Spilt Milk and went down to Los Angeles to do that. Uh, and then Tim had met Eric Dover while Tim was touring the South. Didn't even know much about him, but we were having a very hard time finding a permanent guitar player. We we had a lot of um, temporary guitar players that contributed to demos, contributed mm-hmm. to the album, which were all great, but nobody that we felt was well-rounded enough to qualify as a touring band member, if you will. Right. Um, and then we auditioned Eric, and uh, he really seemed like he was a diamond in the rough. Um, and uh, we took a chance on him because time was running out. Right. And uh, even Tim, who had met him, couldn't really vouch for him. You know, he said, hey, sounds like he plays decent guitar and certainly can sing. <laughs> and, and we said, well, let's just go for it. Two things we and, need. Uh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what we discovered over time was that both Tim and Eric during rehearsals uh, really rose to the occasion because I think as a fan, you can tell that spilled milk we up to the bar quite a bit as far as what we were trying to go for. So everything, everything from belly button, by the time you get to spilt milk, it gets a little more intricate, a little more produced, a little more arranged. And so needless to say, a little more challenging to pull off live. Oh yeah. I mean, like I always compared, you know, spilt milk and belly button to like, say like the first queen album. I mean, this is just my opinion of course, but it was like the first queen album to like night, a night at the opera, you know, where it was like, you know, Belly Button definitely had its ear candy, but it was such more of a straightforward like debut where Spilt Milk was this grandiose epic, you know, of an album that's so much ear candy. I mean, I remember when I got that album, I spent days listening to it with headphones just so I can hear everything from the doorbells to the, you know what I mean, <laughs> to everything. And yeah. so like when you guys went into the writing process of spilt milk. Cause like I said earlier, obviously bye, bye, bye was, you know, written earlier. Were any of the songs when you guys were writing these, did you kind of have these epic ideas in mind or were those things that just came together in the studio as you kind of were surrounded by all your toys and whatnot? Well, they came together in the demo stage, basically uh, mostly at Andy's house in Northern California Mm -hmm. where we worked on, all the spilt milk demos, you know, so, so our philosophy always was, look, um, if we can share each other's, if we can play ideas for each other on the piano and a scratch vocal or on guitar and a scratch vocal and we're inspired as collaborators and we really can hear that that's a strong chorus idea. That's a strong verse idea. That's a strong lyric idea, whatever. Then we kind of put, you know, that's the, that's the biggest box you have to check off mm-hmm. on the checklist. And so we would take an idea like Glutton for uh, Glutton of Sympathy or a Brighter Day or whatever, Sabrina, and go, okay, these are, these are solid ideas. We, are, we believe in them. We're excited by them. Every time we play them, even if three months have gone by, we're working on them, we're still excited. There's something here that's special about it to us. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you just start filling in the blanks. So you used to start doing the you know the laborious task of like all right what's the drum part going to look like well what what will the bass and guitar do here and you you just start throwing stuff at the wall until something sticks you 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 philosophize and uh, a lot of what we would do also is which is you know not uncommon is like well what's the lyric about what kind of mood and attitude like Sabrina right mm-hmm. Andy had that lyric very early on. Such a great so lyric, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we knew that uh, it was going to have this childlike ambiance to it, and we're remembering what it was like to be in kindergarten, and our school teachers were like, and all those things that most people share in common. Um, and uh, you start painting it. You know, you start painting it with sound. What does that look like? What? How, I want to be put in that mood. I want to be taken back to that nostalgic era well the challenge with pop music if you're not doing a 20 minute progressive rock yes or genesis song is that you got to figure out how to convey that mood in three and a half minutes exactly you don't have infinite time you know 
No, and that's really fun to do. We love that challenge. I still love that challenge. And, um, you know, you got to get your point across really quick, shove all your ideas in there, not bore the listener, hook their attention, hopefully not only with the lyric and the melody, but all the other stuff like you're calling ear candy, which is, you know, our fans appreciate that mm-hmm. as, as Andy and I did, of course. And, uh, so you just start trial and erroring all this stuff. And, and when both of us were high-fiving each other going, wow, this is really, you know, Glutton uh, of Sympathy, for example, that was a song that we believed in, but we could not get the arrangement right. It was taking a very, very long time. We didn't know. It was, it was, it was just really vague in terms of ideas and focus and wh- where we wanted to take that song. And kept trying stuff, kept trying stuff, kept trying stuff. And I remember one day, we had finished some of the background vocals and had Lyle Workman come over and try some guitar. And again, we didn't have a guitar part in our mind. We were just like singing him ideas and kind of conceptualizing to him what we had in mind. All three of us were just like throwing ideas at him, Mm -hmm. trying to make it work. It was a very long and exhausting day. And we went out to dinner, came back and did a rough mix of the song and, and played it in Andy's living room on his speakers. And I'll never forget that moment because he and I both simultaneously knew, bam, we, we just figured out the jigsaw puzzle. This song has really, frankly, been kind of bumming us out because it hasn't been working. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we just solved the puzzle because he and I were both smiling at each other. Really, like, I, I could tell we didn't have to say anything. We're like, we got it. We figured it out. Now, now this song is as good as the other ones that we're proud of and... It, de- it deserves to be on the record. Well, you know, that's that's what that's the artistic process. That's that's both the hardest work in the world, but it's the hardest job you'll ever love kind of thing. Oh, yeah, because you know, one of the things when I listen to that song, because, of course, that's one of my favorite songs on the album, which, you know, as, as cliche as it is, it's like, you know, every song on Spilt Milk is my favorite song on the album. But one of the things I always loved about Glutton was that it definitely seems to grow off of that kind of acoustic kind of that melancholy guitar intro. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so I can totally see where you're talking about where if that wasn't there and you didn't really know where to go with it, how that would be, you know, again, to use that word, like that catalyst, that like, okay, it needs to grow from this. And then it just kind of blossoms just yeah. from such that little simple piece, but that it was so hard to find. You know what I mean? Yeah, very much. Well, so if that was one of the most challenging, which which ones came, what what particular, is there a particular song that came the easiest or in the quickest for you guys? Uh, I mean, they all pose their own set of challenges, you know, mm-hmm. like Sonic Maze we had to go through. But um, <laughs> I, I remember Sabrina being, fairly fast and, and bye 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 they, they kind of just the the attitude that we wanted to convey with those was just so apparent that it it, it just started you know they write themselves and you, you get to a point where uh, arranging your songs which is really one of the funnest parts for me you start filling in the dots you're like well if we have the guitar be really loud and bombastic here we probably want it to be softer here well, what are we going to bring in instead and you just you start getting better and better at it the more you do it like anything else and uh, I, I suppose the real challenge particularly if you're an artist on their sixth or seventh album is how do I continue to not just repeat all these formulas and tools that I've mastered how do I keep pushing the envelope and making it interesting and different right um, and that's that's every every band artist goes through that because it's it's just constant self-discovery and hopefully your audience comes along for the ride with you and that's not always the case I'm, you know you and i probably both have favorite bands where like uh albums three and four they really took a detour i didn't like uh, oh and then by album five they you know they they reworked it in such a way as one of my favorite records you know it's, it's that kind of thing so Another thing I was curious to ask you is, you know, going into Spilt Milk, obviously, you know, you brought in Bye 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 with you. Um, was there ever a consideration for songs like, um, you know, Hello, Hello or, 
you know, Mr. Late or things like that? Or was that kind of, did you kind of look at those songs and kind of go, you know, they had their place in time, but they're not going to make it to this process because we're moving past that. Well, it wasn't even so much past that. It's that you can't fit everything on a record unless you do a double record set. And uh, you were asking me about Bye 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 earlier. That's, That's a song we wrote before Belly Button. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and so that was, we just didn't feel it belonged as part of the belly button family. Mm-hmm. And then when it came down to time to do spilt milk, we we're both like, well, we've, we've got to record this one now and set it amongst this new batch of material. Um, it just you know, just conceptually, it had more of a place. And I think that uh, songs like Will You Marry Me. Mr. Late, Hello, all that stuff I think would have continued to maybe evolve onto a record at some point. I know we were proud of that material, uh, but those those ideas were fairly incomplete. Not all the lyrics were written. Not all the, I remember you guys used to make you know, pretty much make up the lyrics to Hello all the you know, Yeah. Like, like based on yeah. where, where you guys were playing. I think I've heard like five different takes on that song. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, lyrics... Uh, are certainly time consuming for me when I work on solo stuff. And, uh, you know, I w- Andy took his time sculpting his lyrics as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad he did. I mean, they're, they're so interesting to me. They were inspiring to ride around with him. And, uh, so that's, I, you know, <laughs> he, we got overwhelmed on tour with videos and promo and all that other stuff. And, it's hard to get in lyric mode. At least, oh, at least for, lyric for mode is the hardest mode to get into because it's it's you know it's the quintessential part of this. It's what completes the song. You know what I mean? And like it's yeah. what steers the song. You know, and yeah. yeah, you have to be in the mode in order for it to be to tell the right story and for it to complement the music and whatever you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, so. Um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you were about kind of like um, uh, urban legend type stuff about Spilt Milk. Um, one of them being was that um, Hello actually kind of inspired joining a fan club. Is that true that you kind of pulled from that for joining a fan club or was that even considered even thought of that way? I don't I don't remember that. Uh, but, you know, both of those songs have a celebrational aspect of Mm -hmm. being a fan, particularly being young and in your suburban bedroom, wondering what the big city is like and all the glitter of uh, the rock and roll 70s stereotype hero, so to speak. Right. I mean, that's, that's something we shared with a lot of people in our age group and the suburban environment we grew up in at the time we grew up in so both those songs were remembering that and honoring that that's what they had in common i wouldn't say one graduated out of the other necessarily and the other one was uh too much too little too late um was that about jason faulkner (laughs) uh if it was andy never told me (laughs) that's the first i've ever heard that i've I seriously doubt it, actually. Because I, the, the urban I, I legend... Was more, oh, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. I was, more, I was more of the impression it was about, uh, you know, I'm just more of a traditional relationship gone amok uh, with, you know, a female, a romantic relationship. See, this is kind of cool because this is where I feel like I get to share, like, the urban legend that I've heard amongst Jellyfish fans with you is that there's the line in that song that says, way back when all you loved was the grease paint, not the collection plate. And everyone was like, oh, my God, that's part, the part about Jason Faulkner and how he wanted to write more and they wouldn't let him and he quit. And, and I was like, well, that kind of <laughs> makes sense. But I was like, I was like, you know what? Let me ask Roger. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. So... <laughs> No, I probably have to. Yeah, I probably have to say, our our loving fans are reading way too much into uh, basically a simple breakup song. Yeah, but it must be kind of cool for you to hear though that that your that the songs from Spilt Milk in general too are are that thought provoking. You know, for just 
the average fan that they could read into it or that come up with their own interpretation. Oh, always. No, no, no. That, that means your art is conveying something. You know, anything feels good that you're, uh, something you're so proud of and so invested in is connecting with strangers. And, um, uh, that's, that's one of the greatest compliments period. So, mm-hmm. and, and of what, course the song, you know, the song can mean in effect the listener, however they want, they, people can read whatever they want into the lyric, regardless of what uh, Andy's intentions were with it. And what about ghost at number one? I always interpreted that myself as a listener at being, cause you guys were definitely kind of at the height at that time where not pe- the the artists that were residing at number one <laughs> were kind of these disposable kind of artists and bands and whatnot. So was that kind of tied to that kind of thought? Um, sure. I mean, I think it's more just general. Uh, you know, throughout rock's short history, you had a mm-hmm. awful lot of uh, shooting stars, if you will, right? You know, they rose to uh, cult leadership status virtually overnight, mm-hmm. with, uh, and so many of them, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, died prematurely in their late twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, I think that was just using that background as uh, lyrical fodder and. and um, source material for Andy constructing a ghost. So in the creative process, because a lot of times, you know, you hear about, you know, this is the album that broke the band or this is, or, or, or like broke up the band or whatever. Is, is Spilt Milk the album that you feel might have been the thing, the thing that kind of brought Jellyfish to the end? Or did that kind of come afterwards, like uh, with all the touring and whatnot? Because it sounds to me like from your perspective that the creative process of making the album and writing the album was a pretty positive thing. Always. No, that's one of the funnest parts. No, no, no. I mean, all all the spilled milk was realized by Andy and myself Mm -hmm. post Post uh, Jason and Chris. Now, my brother Chris played. He played on the demo of Ghost of Number One. He played on a handful of other demos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he played some really cool bass parts. Um, he was a great but, bass player, by the way. Very underrated. I thought because he did some great stuff on the live material. Oh yeah, no, he had to. He had to develop his bass skills at light speed uh, mm-hmm. from where he started to, you know the roughly two plus years he was involved where that all went and uh yeah there's no there's no there should be some kind of award he should be can be handed for anybody <laughs> in his position who does that uh, but um yeah, yeah no no i mean there were there were challenges internally with the dynamic of the group you know before we even began recording belly button mm-hmm. i mean there and that's Unfortunately, not uncommon uh, relationships uh, between band members often have uh, this unfortunate friction. Sometimes between you know brothers in the group, that's not uncommon. Like Ray Davies and his brother Lennon um, McCartney. I mean, you know, it's yeah, you know, on and on. And and, and if it's not too rough and too dominant that friction can be healthy just like siblings mm-hmm. um, you can have healthy competition and stuff like that but um, you know a band is any any band member particularly if they've had any success and done it for a while will tell you uh, it's like being married to four people because you have you have you're constantly sculpting and navigating relationships and uh, uh, the art can only grow if there's some semblance of a healthy relationship foundation between the band members. Then ultimately that's, you know, we all went our separate ways because we couldn't, you know, we, we might've been good at the songwriting part of it, but we couldn't figure out the relationship part of it. Ah, and, see, um, and that's the, yeah, 
because yeah, I feel like that's the thing is that especially when you're in a collaborative relationship, you know, you can speak to each other through music, you know, and through that. But then when you have to live with each other and perform together and be around each other all the time, that it's a totally different dynamic. Yeah. Again, it's like it's like girlfriend, boyfriend, marriage. It's like, oh, we're going to live together now. OK, cool. Well, where's where's the handbook to that? <laughs> So that you don't fuck it up. Exactly. I mean, it's, like, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a parent now? Oh, where's where's the handbook? So, I mean, these are very, very important things when people choose to spend extended time together that uh, where they recognize that we're going to be ideally our most open, open and real and vulnerable uh, with each other. And it's it's the same it's the same skill set as with your uh, beloved, your significant other that you had better be bringing into. Um, I mean, the only thing you're not doing with your band members is like you know, engaged in sexual intimacy, or if, certainly there have been married couples, couple boyfriend girls in in bands, mm-hmm. um, and you're not sleeping in the same bed. But half the time you almost are because you're in a you know a van almost sleeping on top of each other. I mean, you're like. You're up in each other's faces the whole time, and you better have tools to navigate the ups and downs. Right. Uh, and um, that's, you know, if I could fund my own music school, right? I, you know, is there a class at Berkeley that's all about interpersonal relationships within an organization? Whether you're a solo artist or in a band, even if you're a solo artist, you better know how to communicate with your road manager. You better know how to communicate with your manager, your financial uh, advisor, all, all these things. Otherwise, you're kind of doomed from the get-go because success is going to bring lots of money coming in and out of the picture, mm-hmm. uh, lots of attention coming in and out of the picture. Um, all the all the challenges of that, and uh, I mean, they're just endless stories of dysfunctionality, uh, and in those types of uh, business relationships, right? And the challenge with music is, you know, if you you have a regular nine to five, you may be working with your coworkers at the office, mm-hmm. most jobs, and you guys can all leave your personal stuff at home and get to work at the task at hand. And you're all really good at your various positions and you have a common goal for you. you know, the company's making a product or whatever, right? So everybody puts their attention there, but what you don't have to do necessarily, most of the time you don't is be emotionally invested and wear your heart on your sleeve and bear your soul. Well, that's what the craft of music's all about, mm-hmm. or any other artistic collaborative endeavor that you may be joining forces on. And uh, that takes an immense amount of courage. Uh, it takes an immense amount of self-assuredness, um, confidence, self-love, and respect. You know, and every person had better be bringing their version of that to the group, or you're going to have a weak link. And that, that weak link or multiple weak links, and in most cases, most band, none of the band members have that. Mm-hmm. So you've got you have four dysfunctional people entering the picture, basically all crossing their fingers going, well, hope this works out. I hope, hope the songs can get us through all the inevitable relationship dysfunctionality that every group has. And uh, I mean, you can, you can read, there's endless biographies out there right now that basically say, Playing with playing with my bandmates, for the most part, other than a few laughs, has been hell. And the only reason we didn't break up is because we made money. You know, we had we had a hit record, right? So the hit the hit record justified them putting up with each other's shit. Oh yeah, um, you know, and and we're just lucky as a as a fan that we got some decent music out of it. Because half the time you read about you be read about their adventure it's just like these people were miserable, but they didn't know what to do about it because they didn't have the tools to do, do anything about it. And a lot of their pain was taken care of with uh, drugs or all the money that was coming. In. So, with, so, so why break up? <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, obviously without being, uh, I only have a couple more things to uh, touch on, um, but I just want to ask you, so I mean, without being too candid or, or, or too getting too personal, is that kind of what you feel like happened uh, with Jellyfish? Was that obviously not so much with like the huge – you know, influx and money, but more that it was uh, just four personalities that um, 
seems to be positive and negatives toward each other. You know what I mean? Where you just kind of couldn't come together except for musically. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I can summarize, and I wouldn't even be necessarily speaking about jellyfish. This is this mm-hmm. is like half of my friends and half the people I've known in the business, successful or not or otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we didn't have the tools necessary um, to sustain the four personalities over time. There, mm-hmm. are, there are basic communication skills and strategies for uh, respectfully and in a healthy, optimal way uh, joining in each other's lives for an extended period of time. And we, as many colleagues I find, simply don't have the tools for that. They don't know that they're missing the tools. Um, they never seek the tools. And you can you can get the tools. It's, you know, any, any, there are thousands of books and thousands of therapists and coaches and <laughs> uh, you know, a whole myriad of ways to acquire those tools. But uh, right. to expect four young men in the early 90s to have those tools out of the gate is a lot to ask. And I personally... I know that I didn't, speaking for myself, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately you can't, it's not sustainable. Some, something petty, something uh, that has nothing to do with the music, that's interpersonal, uh, will bum everybody out so much that there's no interest in, right, right the, the, the pain becomes greater than the joy you're receiving from making music together. It's almost like it and, just overcomes the output and, you know, like you said, what you, what you're actually able to present, you know? Yeah, and that's again, it's not pointing the finger at anybody. It's it's uh, a, a kind of group dysfunctionality. It's it's why you see people, you know, well-meaning mothers and fathers getting divorced and families breaking up every day. Or it's also Same why way. you see it's also no why you see bands, uh, you know, touring in four tour buses. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly correct. <laughs> you know what I mean, and very often the parents will stay together for the sake of the children, right? Because they they want to give them a nurturing household until they can send them off to college and they're on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, very often a group will stay together for the sake of the songs. The, the songs are the the babies that they've birthed and want to you know set out into the world, kind of thing. Um, well, and so- then at, there's a certain point you're, you're like, this is just not. Uh, healthy <laughs> well yeah because at one point at some point you have to say you know is is the song you know is the, as great as and as much as you love the music you know you have to look out for yourself you know and then take care of that so obviously you know jellyfish comes to an end with spilt milk um when you look back on it there's two things i want to ask you about the album was first off what is one memory that's that constantly comes to you um like as a good memory or something that you might, that might make you smile or laugh about the making of that album. Like when you were in the studio, was there something in particular that say <laughs> that made you think that right there? Do you know what I mean? Like, like what, 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 what was that that you thought of? Well, fortunately there were many, I can't, I can't share with you what I thought of because it's kind of graphic and, and would embarrass uh, one of the, uh, uh, guest musicians, uh, although they would have a laugh at it as well. <laughs> oh, um, that's the, now you've done the tease, man. <laughs> I've done the tease. Um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I have to give it some thought before I flashed on something, but, um, um, there were, you know, there were many moments, uh, uh, I can remember, um, well, we had a lot of fun, like, decorating the studio for the photo shoot you know which was beautiful by the way yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was a you know everybody got involved in that jack albie tim andy and myself just uh and um you know just things like i remember we were working at uh ocean way studios and mick jagger was down the hall working on one of his solo albums and so whenever any of us would have to go to the restroom or whatever leave the building we you know wonder if the, if the person was going to come back with what, what's today's Mick Jagger story going to be about and <laughs> and there weren't there weren't really many Mick Jagger stories but it was almost like the fact that we were all sharing this together and um, 
yeah, I eventually uh, had, I think, one of the first because I found myself alone in the restroom with him um, in, at the urinal. And I was like, okay, is this really happening? You know, and because uh, we could hear him singing and working on music quite a bit. Right, right. Um, but we had very, very few encounters, actual encounters with him. Um, I, you know, I remember one time Andy and I were pulling up in the parking lot, and uh, it was a very, very small parking lot. So there weren't many cars, and this giant stretch limo pulls up. <laughs> and we're like, wow, look, mix obviously arriving in style. And then the back door opens, and then the rear where the, the guest gets out. Mm-hmm. And these two, you know, what can I say? Very young and gorgeous uh, models walk out. <laughs> and they, they look like models. I they were. And we're like, man. Mix what? How, how old's Mick? He's in his 50s. Look at him, man. He's just living the life. This is just a dream right here. Look, this is fantastic. Well, Mick Jagger is not the one that got out of the car at all. It was the head of Atlantic Records, Ahmed Erdogan. Oh, <laughs> which is even funnier. <laughs> right, because he's you know he's twice as old as Mick. And he I know. Was, he was there. He was there to visit Mick to check in on the record. And Andy and I got to watch all this from our, our parked car uh, and we were just laughing hysterically we couldn't wait to run in and tell Albie and Jack what we had just seen and Tim Smith what we had just seen uh, you know so I, I right I got those are incredible one of a kind moments like that those are those are those are great memory you know like having memories like that you know just you know is is, you, know, you know, when you look back on the cre- on the creative process, and you look back on the light, the lighter side of things like that, where like stories like that. But how about looking back on the album as a whole? Like, I mean, in 2019. So, by the way, my drummer Luis, I have to name drop him in my band. He's him and I are both jellyfish dorks. Like, we just geek out over you guys every time we rehearse. Um, he, you know, looking back on spilt milk like in like i said after all these years it still sounds like an amazing album but is there ever anything that you look at and go i wish i would have we would have done that different or i wish we'd we would have sequenced different i mean is is there anything that you ever look back on and go if i could change that i would always um and uh i mean you got to remember uh i was still very young in my artistic trajectory at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't be prouder of what we did, but there's all kinds of things that I feel we missed the mark. I could have changed something. I could have been more responsible and making sure this sounded this way, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes it was either, well, oftentimes it was, uh, I didn't know how to speak up for myself more and I didn't know how to speak more intelligently about what I wanted. So, for example, if there was a a guitar sound or something mm-hmm. that I feel could have been more aggressive, had more of an energy, uh, you know, just jumped out of the speakers more. Well, that requires a bit of engineering knowledge and wisdom and practice. So I could articulate to my collaborators, the guitar needs to do X, Y, and Z because right, right now it's doing this. I didn't have those skills. I'm still learning those skills with every project I do. And, um, but when I hear it now, I'm just like, yeah, sounds good, but that's not what it sounded like in my head. That's not what it should have been. It, it uh, as far as what the sculpture looked like in my mind, you know, and there's, there's just, there's just a bunch of that. I, I don't think it sabotages anything. I don't think it wrecks anything. Oh, I just, yeah. I can hear the difference, you know, well, because you were the creative, you were you were part of the creative nucleus of that. Whereas, like we as the listeners, really had no clue what you were right. thinking. You know, right. I mean, do you think that this, some of those things came alive during the tour of Spilt Milk? Because yes. what I would notice is, that especially when you guys opened with "All Is Forgiven," that part where it goes right before the guitar solo, where Eric would just make that screeching noise of feedback. Like, is that like another? Is that like an example of that where you're like? Yeah, that's kind of like what I was thinking, but I couldn't really like dictate that in the studio or. Uh, absolutely, yeah. uh, we because we were not a live touring band first and foremost, uh, our recordings suffered a bit in that the songs the songs can really benefit from 
working the kinks out live, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you, you do a lot of trial and error when you can tour songs regularly. Uh, you not only get to see how they affect you as the creator, but what an audience response is like. Um, the singer certainly gets to work out the entirety of the variety of ways ways to uh, phrase the melodies and all that stuff. So um, a song like Fan Club, I think the perfection of that arrangement happened on the road. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have taken that road version of Fan Club and gone back into the studio and re-recorded it. That song turned into like a smokehouse lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was, yeah. I just remember that one. When I heard you guys do that one, I was just like, holy shit, this is like, this is like metal fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, you're absolutely right. It was, it was a much harder, more aggressive, like all, all the aggressive elements that are implied on the recording mm-hmm. get shot to the moon live. Uh, and uh, the vocals were just so much more nailed and perfected, mm-hmm. all those things. So so that, that's a song that I think really could have benefited from having been exercised live before recording other songs not so much you know i i don't think glutton of sympathy wouldn't have changed for example mm-hmm. you know um so but th- there you go you can't uh, have it all you just you just do your best absolutely you know, well i think you guys i think jellyfish i mean created a masterpiece that uh, i mean it, it, it's timeless and it's an album that ties to a lot of emotions and a lot of memories for me as it does I'm sure many others um, but to close out I guess I'm going to ask the most obvious question that you probably get asked a gazillion times but I just want to ask it is that I mean is there a chance that we would ever see jellyfish again or have there ever been offers thrown at you to say like come back together or whatever and maybe you guys just aren't don't feel like you don't need to do that. Yeah, it's really the latter. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think anybody has uh, enough interest to pursue this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was rumor of an offer for, I believe, it was Coachella in in two thousand six. I heard that off. Yeah, I heard that rumor. I was that was never confirmed. I heard it from some business people, but I never spoke to the person themselves who put the show together. Right, that you know presented a legitimate offer. So I don't know if that's to what degree that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I don't know if we would have even have done it. Uh, yeah. But you know, I'm always flattered that people have that interest. You know, suffice to say, um, Eric Dover, myself, and Tim Smith are about eighty percent through a new record. Um, we don't have a name yet, but. Uh, uh, I guarantee that fans of our solo work and jellyfish stuff will be pleasantly surprised. And um, we're just trying our best now to finish uh, four to five of those songs to release in kind of an EP format just to get something out there, uh, maybe even through another uh, fan funding situation. So we're, we're weighing in all the variety of ways to best do that. Uh, but know that there are I think it was 13 songs in development, 12 oh or 13. Um, you, you just made my day, and I'm sure you made the day if anyone else is going to hear this, because that's like, that just sounds fantastic. We're, we're super excited. The, the challenge, challenging part has been that we're all busy earning a living doing other stuff. Right. Uh, Tim Smith lives in Atlanta, mm-hmm. so we've had to work on this record a few weeks at a time throughout the last two years, and of course at home, too, in our private workspace, but... Um, it's a slow process, but I'm, I'm telling you the material is the whole reason we're doing it is because we believe the material is so darn strong. Right. Um, we initially just got together to write for fun and see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, you know, Jesus, we've got 10 songs here that are really kicking our butts and <laughs> blowing our minds. We need to, we need to develop them. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of hard work as always. And, um, but it's coming. That's the goal. But you said you said the F word and that was fun. And that's what it's <laughs> that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if it's if it's fun and if it's enjoyable and it's and it's like artistically lucrative, 
not financially, but you know what I mean? Then it's yeah. worth investing your time in. And so one last thing too, I guess would be, you know, I mean, obviously jellyfish fans are going to always say, you know, never say never. We saw Pink Floyd get together for live eight, you know, many years ago. So it's like, sure. does it bother you that, jellyfish fans kind of hold out sometimes with some glimpse of hope that you and Andy would, even if it was like a one-off, do you know what I mean? Like that we, that, that we, that we would like to see that. No, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm deeply touched. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, a, it's such a great compliment. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, I just don't, I'm not going to be unrealistic about it for people. Um, cause you're right. Gr- groups that have disbanded and said they would never get back together. And there, there they were. Um, I just don't, uh, nothing's indicating to me that that is uh, a possibility. So I don't, I'm not going to like, elude people with that notion. You're not going to get false hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then if you had to describe spilt milk with one word, what would it be? Colorful. I love that. I love that. That that, that I, I was hoping that would be the hardest question, but you seem like you knew the answer right away. <laughs> it's an incredible record, and it's a huge piece of my life, and it's a huge piece of many people's lives. And um, I can't thank you enough, uh, Roger, for going into this album with me. It really put me in like I felt like I was in the moment with you there for a while and that's a really special thing and it's an honor and I really appreciate that great man yeah yeah no 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 this is always fun talking to you um, there will be more down the road <laughs>